this is coffee number five. I'm your host, Lara Schmoisman. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to coffee number five. Today, I'm super excited. I mean, you know that person that keeps coming back to you in every talk? Like, you talk to people, you talk about her. Her name comes up, then I go to a conference, I'm writing to her. So I say, well, the, I need to have her in this podcast. Uh, it's meant to be. So welcome, Sandra Velasquez. It's such a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much. Good to see you again. Yes. Uh, so tell me everything. I want to, I have so many questions because your journey has been crazy. You started doing COVID with nothing. You just took a class for what I understood and you want to create your own product. So how did you come up with the idea? How did you say you found the place? And if I'm not wrong, it was someone who's giving you a class in the UK. They're raised in the UK. And, but you created a brand really uh, made for the US market. Yes. With the flair of Latina. Yes. Yes. Um, so the story is that I actually was a professional musician for 15 years. So that, that's what I thought I was going to be doing for my whole life. I was a songwriter. Um, I led a band called Pistolera. So singing in Spanish, again, celebrating culture, but through music. And um, because I live in New York, which is very expensive, I've always had a day job, you know, for health insurance and because I have a child. Wow. And so I found myself um, unemployed for the first time at the age of 43, which was very scary because here I am, I'm in my 40s. I have a child. I'm a single mom. I have student loan debt. I have personal credit card debt. And I have like nothing to show for it. I have no savings. I have, you know, so I'm like, how did I get here? How is this my life? And it was in that moment where I just decided that if I wanted to change my life, if I wanted something different, I'm going to, I was going to have to take different actions. And so I decided to build a brand. And, you know, most people that build brands, ideally you want to have some money <laughs> before you yes. build a brand. Um, but I had no money. So I, for me... Um, I was like, I, I'm, this is my chance to actually make money, to build something bigger that can change my future and my child's future. And so I was served an ad through Facebook, um, from Formula Botanica, which is a online skincare formulation school based in the UK. And I enrolled, I opted for the payment plan option. So I enrolled in the payment plan option and I studied formulation for, for a year. They give you about a year access or more maybe to the platform to go through all of the modules, you have to take tests, you have a final project. It's, you know, it's online school. You did the so, real thing. You didn't go to an R&D and create a formula. You did by hand. You actually bought ingredients and yes. with them. Yes. And that's really because I was a beauty industry outsider. I didn't know how to go get products made. I didn't know how to find a chemist or find an R&D. Also, I didn't have any money to do that. So I that's when I, you know, that's why I said, you know what, I'm going to have to make these products myself. And um, and that's why I chose Bath and & Body. And that's why I chose soap, because it, it was something that you can make in your house. And so that's what I did. I studied formulation for a year. At the same time, I was also working on the brand for a year. Again, I had no money to pay for branding. So I asked my designer for a payment plan. Fortunately, she said yes. And that's really how I launched my brand was on my American Express credit card by payment plan because I had no money to upfront to pay for anything. So I worked on the brand and the formulation for a year. Obviously, I had to go get other jobs, you know, to pay the rent. So I went and I just got three jobs. I had one job that was to pay the rent and bills, one job that was to pay off my debt. 
and another job to fund my brand and pay off my credit card so that I could build this brand. And so that's that's what I did. And then COVID happened, but I had I was already in the process of building this brand. So it didn't occur to me not to launch the brand. I just went forward anyway. And luckily, COVID actually turned out to be really great for a lot of, you know, e-commerce brands because we were all stuck at home and everyone was doing self-care at home. Yeah. So, you know, I uh, the brand still took off right away and had, you know, sales from day one. That That's incredible. So you created this brand. How, how many SKUs did you launch? How many products? I launched with what I wanted to be like a collection of things that went together. So I launched with three cactus soaps and one body scrub and one lotion bar. And so it was technically five SKUs, but really just three products, right? A soap, a scrub and a lotion bar. If you will have it to do it again, would you start with the same line or would you recommend to do something else? You will say, I will just start big with one or one in two variations. It was good that I launched with a set because MP I was able to sell a bath set and that was a higher order value. Um, so I don't think I would change that. But what I might have done differently is I might have launched with just one soap instead of three. Uh, like a body soap and then leave the opportunity to have like a facial soap, right? Because um, if it's marketed for the face, it can be a higher price point. Um, but with body care, it's not. Okay, so you created your website and mm -hmm. you have five products, which is a great number in marketing to have three to five to launch with that because it's, it's hard when you launch with one and you only have one product to sh showcase in the website. How did you do the advertising? How did you go out there and, and find your people? And how did you do the research of finding who would be the people interested in your product? Um, well, because I built the whole brand around the customer from the beginning. So I think that that's an important distinction is some people build the, they launch, they create a product and they launch it and then they try to go find out who is this for? How do I sell it to? How do I find those people? But I did it the other way around. I created the product specifically for the customer, which was the Latina clean beauty customer. And I knew that if I created the brand in and the branding spoke to them immediately, it would attract them immediately, which it did. So I think that that's also the importance of branding because that's your first touch point of marketing. Um, you know, a lot of people in beauty, especially because I went to formulation school, I was around, you know, I was in a student group with thousands of formulators and people, formulators and uh, people that make products get really excited about ingredients. And they think that that's what they're they're building an ingredient brand, but that's not ultimately what you're building. You're building a marketing company. Yeah, you're doing a brand. And what I recommend always to my clients is the first thing you have, you might have an idea of the ingredients that you want to use, but you need to know what's your branding, who's your target audience, who's your archetype, who are your phones that you're gonna use because everything tells a story. Yeah, exactly. And so. I focus, that's why I focused on the branding from the very beginning, um, because the branding I knew would speak to to my customer. I knew that by centering it around the nopal, which is in a you know an ancient Mexican symbol, that it would attract my base consumer because every single Mexican person grew up with nopales. It's well, the most Mexican plant ever. It's on the Mexican flag, and so I knew that they would get it, even though other people wouldn't get it. My idea was if I can get my base consumer to get it right away, that's going to help me. And then I'm going to make it so beautiful that other people are going to want to buy it just because it's beautiful, even if they don't know what a nopal is. And um, so that was really the strategy. And um, I started running ads on Facebook before I launched. And so I was running just the logo. I had just what we call the Cactus Goddess logo. I was running that on Facebook. 
really for like $20 a day or something. And I was doing it very targeted because this was back in the day when you could run targeted ads. Those days are now over. So no one should try to copy that because those days are over. Um, And so I was able to send this ad specifically to Latinas in Houston, Texas, between the ages of 27 and 40 who liked Sephora, salsa, human rights, you know, beauty, etc. And that's how I got people to sign up on my email list in advance of launch so that when I launched, I had someone to launch to. So you put an ad and just say, join my email list when it's coming, to know when it's coming up? Yes, exactly. And how many emails you got? Um, 800. That's fantastic. I, Because I always say that I, I believe in ads, I believe in funnels, I believe, believe in everything that everyone knows that it works in marketing. But I really yeah. believe that the bottom of the funnel is connected with your audience by e- email marketing, SMS. Yeah. You don't yes. need run so much ads because they know you already. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you just need to connect with them and remind them you are here. Yes. So right now, how many skills you have? Um, so we, we've only grown a little bit, you know, we added, um, another exfoliant. So now we have two exfoliants and we added another lotion bar. So it's just, uh, it's like five, seven instead of five. So, we, you know, obviously we have some merch items, but that's, I don't really count that because those are just kind of like for the website. But in terms of SKUs, um, I was limited into what I could make because again, I still didn't have money for the first two years. I was bootstrapping and it wasn't until just, you know, at the end of last year that I finally raised outside capital. Yeah, we're going to talk about that in a minute. Of course, we need to talk about that. But um, this is my next question. Are you in retail? Yeah, so we are in Nordstrom, we're in Credo Beauty, we are at Free People Movement, we're at 13 Loon, we're at Whole Foods New York City, and about 400 boutiques across the country. So there's a lot of boutiques. We have a really strong boutique business. So how did you get into that business? That's what I want to get, because not only you're in the big retail, you're in a small niche at boutiques. So how yeah. did you approach each one by their own and say, hey, how does it work? Yeah, I get asked this question a lot. And and the reality is that they all came to us. So we actually are still sorting through. They have a plot. We have a link on the in the footer of our website that says, uh-huh. you know, apply to be stockist. And we've had over 800, 800 boutiques apply to be our stockist. And we've had to say no to about half of them because there's conflict of distribution. Like some of them are very close to each other yeah. and they don't like it. So um, Priscilla, our, our VP of sales, who started with me at the beginning as like a contractor, she um it was her job to really sort through and like vet them to make sure that it was the right partner that it was not in conflict with another partner that we had um but all of these boutiques found us again through the same ads that i was serving to our d2c customers and because the branding is so strong because as a boutique owner you want something on your shelf that stands out you want something that you don't have and so again that just going back to the importance of the branding um that is they that's what attracted them to us that's incredible and Today, how did your team change from the beginning until today? How do you structure your company? You, you mentioned that you have a VP of sales. When was the right time to bring a VP of sales? Yeah, so I, in the beginning, it was just me. <laughs> so I was doing everything, including making the product. Yes. And the first person that I hired was a freelance social media manager. So Sam Gomez is now our marketing manager. She's a full-time employee, but she started as like a freelancer, like five hours a week. And then it was 10 hours a week. And then it was, you know, um, you know, 20 hours a week. And so she was just a freelancer because the the social media was, uh, was, was taking up a lot of my time and I was still making the product. 
for the first year. So I was literally in the, in the, you know, the kitchen making the soap. So I didn't have time to, to do all of the social media. So that was the first person I hired, um, as a freelancer. And then, um, Priscilla, our VP, our now VP of sales, she started as a contractor, really just like the commission based. And, um, and she came to me, she found me through a magazine article and she's Latina. So she was interested in, you know, working with a Latina brand. And so I've actually been with, they've been with me since the beginning, but just in a, in like a part-time capacity. So when I raised money, I brought them on full-time. That's amazing. Okay. So let's get to that point that you raised money. Yeah. How, when was that moment that you decide, okay, I cannot be self-funded anymore. I need to get money outside because getting money is also giving away part of your company. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You're selling, you're selling equity in your company. Um, and so for me, I couldn't keep up with the demand anymore. And it was really, um, just stunting our growth because I couldn't make new products. I couldn't market more. I couldn't hire people to help me. And so that's when I realized like, I can't keep taking just like $30,000 loans or even a $50,000 loan. I need like real money. Uh, and so that is when I decided, okay, I'm going to have to go and raise like real capital. And I initially sent out to only raise like half a million. And then I changed my mind, like, you know what, I should raise a million. And then one of my mentors was like, you really should just raise two because it's the same amount of work. So then I ended up, I was set up to raise two and then I ended up raising 2.7. Okay. And okay. Now tell us a story. How did you raise that money? Yes, it is. I had never raised money before. So it's, um, I had to learn as I went. And that was really challenging uh, because you're also stressed because you need money, but you have to show up in full confidence. You can't show up stressed or desperate. You can't just take anyone's money. Um, And it was just a lot of cold outreach, like emailing people, asking for introductions. You know, I joined a lot of, I applied and got into a lot of accelerators that gave me the opportunity to connect to connect with investors because I didn't even know how to find investors. Yeah, but also there is, like we talk about the marketing deck, also you need to make an investor's deck. You cannot show yes. up without information. Yeah. They need yes. they, they, hey, give me some money. Yes, exactly. So, yes, yeah, so I had to make an investor deck. I had, you know, been comfortable making pitch decks, but, you know, the investor deck was something um, that was, that, I think I went through like seven iterations. I think like I finally, you know, was at like version seven by the end of, and really just tweaking it as you go, because as you meet with investors, you get asked questions and then you realize like, okay, they, clearly they have this question because it's not clear in the deck. So let me update the deck. And um, yeah, just got feedback from other friends who had raised before um, and and ju- and just, you know, learned as I went. Like I, I was not a pro at all. Like I'm still learning. But definitely now, if I when I go to raise again for a Series A, it will be easier because I've done it before, and now I have a waiting list of investors who are interested in in investing in Opaleta who didn't get a chance to the first time. That's incredible. And then you went to Shark Tank. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> so let, yeah. Let's talk about that. How was that experience? Yeah, Shark Tank is really. Um, really nerve-wracking it's uh it's also a part-time job like to prepare like i don't think people know how how much is involved that goes on behind the scenes before you actually walk into the tank so you know i think i applied at the beginning of last year like maybe february and then um and then once i was got the call back it was just preparation like zoom meetings every week every two weeks up until i filmed in july so that's it was like half a year you know of of preparation 
And then when you do film, um, you're not guaranteed that your episode will air. And they tell they're very clear about that. So, you know, to me, that's heartbreaking that people go through all of that work and then their episode never sees the light of day. Um, and then they don't tell you when your episode will air. So you're just kind of waiting and waiting and waiting. And I was hoping that it would have aired at the end of last year for Q4, but it didn't. So it's, uh, you know, I'm glad that it ended up airing in but January. Yeah, this you year. cannot say anything until it airs either. Right. You cannot. You cannot share anything, even if you get the money. Yes, correct. You cannot, you have to wait until it airs. And what happens if it doesn't air? That's it. Then you just don't air. No one knows. No one knows. That's incredible. And it is nerve-breaking, but you got the money. And why you decided to go with it? I didn't get the money. No, I did not get the money. I, I, was, I was given two offers and I turned them down. Well, you were offered. That's what I meant. You didn't oh. get the, uh, the offers from them and you turned them down. Why? Yes, because at that point, by the time I was actually filming Shark Tank, it was now July, last July, I was in a different, I had started to actually fundraise. So I was going out to raise like a million, two million dollars and I had a lot of interest. And so there was no way that I could undercut the valuation and give away so much of my company for so little money, you know? Um, and so I was open to them, you know, giving me what I asked for, but they they were at such a different end of the spectrum. You know, they wanted like 30% of the company for $300,000 and there's just no way. No, absolutely. That didn't make sense for you. And... How do you feel about having to give away your company uh, in order to get money? Um, I mean, I don't really have a choice. So I, I really, my feeling is that like, I'm grateful for the opportunity. I'm grateful that um, that people wanted to give me, you know, money and that we are able to stay in business and have a team and and continue to build because there was really just no other way. I had no, no money myself. None, I don't come from money. No friends and family have money. So for me, it was the only way. Yeah, that that's clear. So what's next for you, Anna Valera? Yeah. yeah, so next is we are um, working on the innovation pipeline for 2024. So that's now that we have money, we can afford to make new products, you know, and um, it's expensive to do all the testing, you know, so now we can do that, those kinds of things, and uh, work with a chemist to help accelerate the innovation pipeline. Um, because our customers are there, they're in front of us, and they're ready to buy anything that we make. We just have to make the stuff. You know, yes. and um, but you need and, to make it right. Also, you cannot rush production. Like it, all these testings, you need well, to take a year. <clears throat> yeah. yeah, yeah, it takes a year, and so that's why you know we we need to start working on twenty twenty four like yesterday, and um, um, and then really what's next is partnering with a large retailer like an Ulta or Sephora, um, to really expand our business you know nationwide. Uh, I want to do two touch points here because, first of all, let's talk about one hand is product that it takes a long time to develop, but the other side is creating the right packaging for that product too. Yes. There are two completely separate problems you have and that what comes first and how you work the two logistics because it's complete. And for you that you were doing it at home, I think it was even tougher to work with packaging. Yes. Now we have partners that help us source packaging because in the beginning it was me just no. uh, searching the internet, looking for the right thing that I wanted. Um, but now we have packaging partners that can help us again, accelerate that. So it's not just us r looking for packaging. Um, and now, you know, our director of ops, you know, that I hired, um, she also has experience sourcing packaging. So she already has relationships. So the whole thing just goes faster and is a little easier. 
And then yeah. in terms of branding, we have, you know, our, our designer is the best. So anytime we need to brand something, the design of the packaging, that's not a problem. It's, you know, but sourcing packaging now, it's a little easier that we have a team. Yeah. And second, when you work with retail, because working with retail is a completely different experience that you selling at DTC. What are those things that it came to you when you started having dealings, deals with retail that said, oh, I didn't know about it. Like, for example, going to have to visit different stores or have to uh, pay for marketing in those even in, in those retails. Yes. I mean, I came from one of my previous, you know, as I mentioned, I always had day jobs aside from being a musician. So I worked in CPG. So I already had experience. I actually worked as a CPG consultant. So I had been teaching classes to brands that were selling to grocery stores, which is a different model, but the concept of margins is the same. And so making sure that you price your products accordingly. So I, I was already aware of how wholesaling worked, um, fortunately. But what was new for me is that in beauty, the the retailers take a much larger margin than than grocery retailers. So for example, if you're a grocery van, let's say you make a drink or let's say you make a protein bar and you're selling your product to Whole Foods, you know, you're, the retailer is going to take like a 40 margin, maybe a 44. Um, and in beauty, the retailers take a 60. That's huge. So it's so very important that it, because on top of that, you have to have other commitments. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Marketing commitments, right? With the, with the retailers. Yeah, not so much as, I mean, if you're paying for end caps, like that's one thing, but really you just need to be like for beauty, you need to have uh, minis available for sampling, you know? So that's an, that's another cost. Right now you're making the same product twice, a full-size version and a mini version. And and one of them might be like a free gift with purchase, what they call a GWP. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, Sandra, I'm so impressed with your journey and so grateful that you were here today with us and telling our audience at Coffee Number no. 5, your experience, and you were so generous with the tips and so open about it. So thank you, thank you, thank you for being here. Thank you. And to you guys, I will see you again next week with more Coffee Number no. 5. Find everything you need at larashmoisman.com or in the episode notes right below. Don't forget to subscribe. It was so good to have you here today. See you next time. Catch you on the flip side. Ciao, ciao.